Welcome listeners to your Monday Moxie of all time radio episodes remastered, cleaned up as much as possible for your lovely ears. Your first tale involves a magician's premonition, and he shares a thought that leads a woman down a path that she'd rather not follow. But it seems it can't be helped in this episode titled The Thought. And our second tale, Uptown Express, is a glimpse into another reality. One that our protagonist either is happy to have lived or regretted to have ever endured in Uptown Express. Both these particular episode mates were curly. Yikes, a lot of repair. The first episode was difficult to say the least. A lot of strange high pitched sounds cutting into the audio, rough. The second tale is much better but requires a different kind of care, pitch, and clarity edits for that one. Either way, they've been tweaked just for you. Let me know though if you have any feedback around this episode. It was a tough one. Now, time for my awesome trio of white tea warlords, the magical Matthew J. Bauer, Uptown Maya, and the Impresario divided by zero. You are all so brilliant. The trio that keeps the show growing and new content coming. You can thank them for the quality of remastering and the special episodes up ahead. Again, thank you so much for supporting the show as a white tea warlord. I'm really grateful. And my Earl Grey enforcers. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffaelli, and Michelangelo Giacone. You guys and gals keep the show's blood pumping. Thank you so much. Now, get comfy. Snuggle up in your blanket or find a super quiet place away from distraction. And let's jump into the world of 1940s vintage broadcasting radio. Enjoy. No. No, stay where you are. Do not break the stillness of this moment, for this is a time of mystery, a time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is The Haunting Hour. Pleasure and amazement, the 78 Club presents the great Marlowe, the mental marvel. Gifted with a seventh sense, the great Marlowe reads your mind, tells your every thought. Now let me warn you, if you have a secret you don't want him to know, just don't think about it. Presenting the great Marlowe. Thank you. Thank you. Frankly, I can't explain the performance you're about to witness. Science, without explaining it, calls it telepathy. Thought transfer. I call it hokum. <laughs> the gentleman says it's hokum. Maybe 
everybody in this room concentrate. Think of a thing or a person. Concentrate. Think hard. Ah, I have a thought. Someone is thinking of the initials S.G. Will the person thinking of S.G. please rise? I've been thinking of S.G. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Young lady, you are concentrating on the name of Stanley Green. Is that right? Well, yes. Stanley is in the army, I believe. Correct. Yes. He's a sergeant. <laughs> and you want me to tell you Stanley's serial number? It's, uh, three, four, oh, oh, seven, six, seven. Is that correct? Yes. I have another thought. Someone is thinking... Someone is thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, please bear with me a moment. I'll have to stop this performance. Believe me, it's important. I'll be back very shortly. I told you it was Holcomb. What happened, Professor? Forget your code? Hey, what's the idea of stopping the act that way? Where's your telephone, Director Moreno? What are you trying to do? Ruin my club's reputation? Shut up, Moreno. Where's your... Oh, here. Now, listen, Marlowe. I'm paying you two grand a week. I expect to get my money's worth. Listen, will you please leave? Just as soon as I'm through with this call, I'll finish the act. All right, but make it snappy. And close the door. Hello? I should like to speak to Helen Thornton. This is Mrs. Thornton. Helen Thornton? Yes. Who is this? Uh, My name is Marlowe. I'm a telepathist performing at the 78 Club. A few moments ago during my act, I received a thought that is vital to you. Are you alone? Yes. Uh, do as I say, please. Lock all your windows and doors. Allow no one in under any circumstances. This is unless... idea of a practical joke. No, Mrs. Thornton. This is no joke. Someone here in this nightclub is planning to kill you. Hello? Oh, I've been trying to get you for hours. I know it's very late, but could you come over? Helen, what's the matter? Oh, Mildred, I'm so frightened. I'm alone here. Where's Jack? Well, he's out of town, and it's Marie's night off. Mildred, I don't know what to do. What's wrong? Mildred, will you come over right away, please? You can spend the night. Oh. Helen, what happened? What's wrong with you? Oh, Jack. No, Mildred, it's all right now. Jack's come home. What was the matter? I'll speak to you tomorrow. All right. Good night. Oh, Jack. What's the matter? What happened, darling? Helen. Helen, for pity's sake, what is it? Pull yourself together, darling. Here, come on over here. Now, what is it? Oh, Jack, I'm so glad you're home. It's been awful. I I didn't expect you when when I heard the door. Well, I I finished my business in New York sooner than I'd planned. I I would have worried, but I thought I'd surprise you. I I met Fred Hamilton on the train coming home. Remember the buyer from St. Louis? He stopped off for a drink downtown. Jack, you, you should have called me. As a matter of fact, I did try to phone you around 11. I tried to get you just as we were leaving the 78 Club. The 78 Club? You were... were there? You... Well, 
What is it, darling? But nothing. I, I, I'm all right now. Well, something is wrong, Helen. What is it? I guess I was just frightened being alone. Well, you've been alone before many times. Yes, but that call. What call? Well, the, uh, uh, the police. They called. Oh? There was a robbery in the neighborhood. Oh, so that's it. That's why the door was double locked. Well, darling, there's nothing to worry about now. I'm here, right? Yes, Jack. You're here. There, that's better. Uh, good night's sleep, and you'll be as good as new. Yes, Jack. Now, you lie there and relax, darling. I'll go to the kitchen and make you a cup of warm milk. Thanks, Jack. my message. I called twice. Yes, but I just got in. I thought you'd be asleep by now. Paul, you, you must help me. Please, please, Paul. There isn't much time. Helen, what's the trouble? He's going to kill me. What are you... Jack's going to kill me, Paul. He came tonight at... Helen, what are you talking about? Paul, you must believe me. No, listen, Helen. You've probably had a bad dream. Yes, please. You, you must believe me. I know what he's going to do. Well, we'll straighten this thing out. Let me speak to Jack. No, 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 you mustn't. Please listen to me. He's coming now. You'll never see me again, alive. Goodbye, Paul. Don't bother folding up the dresses, Marie. Just throw them in. Mrs. Thornton, isn't this kind of sudden you're going away? Don't ask questions, Marie. Hurry, please. Here, help me close this suitcase. You finish packing the other suitcase... I'm going down to get the car out of the garage. Morning, Helen. Jack. You look so surprised to see me. Well, Marie said you'd gone. I, I didn't expect... Well, I decided to come back. See, I caught you in time. Uh, I was just going over to Mildred. So early in the morning? We have an appointment for golf. In, in those clothes? I... Well... <laughs> Darling, all right. Helen, I'll tell you why I came back this morning. Frankly, I'm worried about you. Something's on your mind. I know it. Won't you tell me what it is? I'm all right. Okay, Ellen. Now, listen to me. I had some very important business to settle in the office with Paul this morning, but you come first. You saw Paul this morning? No, I changed my mind on the way down and came back. Helen, you need a rest. You and I are going away. No, Jack, yes? no. I... Now, there's no use arguing. I've already made a reservation for the week. Where, where are you taking me, Jack? Remember that cabin we stayed at three years ago? Oh. It'll be wonderful. Just the two of us all alone. We'll, we'll drive out there tomorrow. Now, there's no need to fuss. Either just a few old duds and my rifle. Your rifle? It's only my gun. The hunting season is on. The shooting at Lone Acres should be very good this year. this all about? Oh, I had to see you. Yeah, but why here at Luigi's all the way across town? It's safer here. What's gotten into you? Jack's going to kill me. Helen. He is, Paul. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Helen. Well, that's what you told me over the phone last night. He's changed his plan. Oh, I see. And why, Mrs. Thornton, is your husband going to kill you? Because... 
because he's jealous of you. Jealous? Jack jealous of me? He knows what we once meant to each other before I married him. Well, of course he does. So what? Why is winning you is a standard joke between Jack and me. Rivals in love, partners in business, and all that stuff. <laughs> Come on, snap out of it. I think I'd better talk to Jack about you. No, no, Paul, you mustn't. Promise me you won't. Uh, all right, Helen, if you say so. Jack's taking me to Long Acres tomorrow for a rest, he says. Good. It's just what you need, Helen. I'll never come back alive. Now, Helen, get hold of yourself. Everything's all right. Your imagination's overworked, that's all. You should go to Lone Acres for a rest. It'll do you a world of good. All right, Paul, I'll go. But I'm so frightened. So frightened. Paul, we'll be alone and he'll have his gun. Sometimes I think I love this gun more than I do you. There, it's okay now. Clean as a whistle and fit for the work at hand. Say, look, the fog's lifting. You can see clear across the valley. No, we'll get in some hunting today after all. Tell them what's the matter. You haven't said a word since breakfast. I'm all right. I've been wanting to finish this story. The Golden Goblet Murders. <laughs> you know, detective stories hand me a laugh. Now, if I were planning a murder, I'd use a gun, like this Springfield. Just say, for instance, I wanted to kill... Well, say I wanted to kill... Me? All right. Say I wanted to kill you. Now, let's see. We have to have a motive, don't we? Well, I'd have it. Motive? Jealousy. Jealousy? Yes, I'm jealous of Paul Allen. That's it. I, I'm jealous of Paul. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I... come on, darling. Be a sport. Our murder plot is just beginning to get interesting. Now, let's see. We need a locale. Well, Lone Acres right here. What a perfect setting for a perfect murder. And now for the time. Yes, Jack. When are you going to kill me? Well, I shouldn't really tell you when I plan to kill you, but I'll give you a break. This afternoon. How's that? We'll be out in the woods, hunting. No one will be too near. No one to see what happens. The hunting season, a gunshot, you're dead. A regrettable accident. And there's our perfect murder. Thornton has discovered that someone wishes to murder her. A mental telepathist performing at a nightclub read the thought from among the guests. Later, Helen was shocked to learn that one of the guests present in the nightclub was her husband, Jack. She fears that he might want to kill her because of his jealousy of Paul, a former suitor. Her anxiety is heightened, and her husband suggests that they go away for a weekend to Lone Acres, an isolated hunting lodge. Once there, Jack tells her it's a perfect setting for a possible perfect crime. Her murder. A hunting accident in the world. Hello, Helen. Here, up this way. All of this path around the bend here. Jack? Yeah? 
Would you mind if I went back to the cabin? Well, there's a clearing up here, darling. We'll stop for a rest. Helen. Yes? I'm going to circle this hill. You wait right there for me. Jack. Jack, please don't leave me here alone. Regrettable accident, Mr. Thornton. But, Doctor, I don't understand how it happened. No, no Mr. Thornton, it's really nothing serious. Just a shoulder flesh wound. Your wife's perfectly all right. Well, when may I see her? Right now. We'll go in right now. Thank you. She's asleep. Go ahead. Wake her up. She'll feel better knowing you're here. Helen. Helen, darling. Hmm? It's me, Helen. Jack. Mrs. Thornton. It's your husband. Doctor, get him out of here. He's going to kill me. Please, Doctor, you must save me. Mr. Thornton, perhaps you better leave the room for a while. All right, Doctor, I'll wait outside. Doctor, Doctor, please don't let him in here again. You must believe me. He's planning to kill me. Mr. Thornton, what happened was an accident. That's what he wants you to think. He planned it that way, but... It wasn't an accident. Now, Mrs. Thornton, it's perfectly natural in a case like this that you should imagine strange things. Doctor, you think I'm crazy, don't you? I'm not. I know what I'm saying. You yourself took the bullet out of my shoulder. Doesn't that prove to you that my husband shot me? On the contrary, Mrs. Thornton. At the scene of the accident, they found your husband with a thirty-two caliber rifle in his hands. The bullet I removed from your shoulder... Was a forty-five caliber pistol cartridge. Marie, Marie. Yes, Mrs. Thornton. I'll be right up. Uh, I was just cleaning up the cellar, ma'am. Oh, Mrs. Thornton, you have the sling off. Yes, Marie. The doctor says the shoulder's okay now. Pretty soon I'll be playing golf again. Oh, that's fine, ma'am. I'm so glad. Thanks, Marie. Uh, were there any calls for me while I was out? Oh, Mr. Thornton called to tell you not to wait up for him. He'll be home very late. And, oh, Mr. Allen called too, Mrs. Thornton. Did he say what he wanted? No, ma'am. Did he try to get you later on? Oh, Mrs. Thornton, I was thinking... <sighs> Do you suppose Mr. Thornton wants to keep this box of bullets downstairs on the open shelf? I was thinking it might be dangerous, ma'am. Bullets? Yes, ma'am. This box here. Let me see that box, Marie. Forty-five caliber cartridges. Forty-five caliber cartridges. And when the doctor told me about the bullet he removed from my shoulder, I thought it was all a terrible mistake. I was even too ashamed to explain to Jack why I'd acted the way I did. But now, Mr. Marlowe... I'm sure that what you told me over the phone that night is true. Someone is really planning to kill me. Are you My sure? My husband. Husband. Are you sure the doctor said it was a forty-five caliber cartridge? Yes. A forty-five caliber cartridge. Just like these that Marie found in the basement. Does your husband have a pistol? I think so. He keeps his guns locked in a case. He has the only key. Mr. Marlowe, he tried once and failed. He'll try again. You must help me. All right, Mrs. Thornton. I'll do all I can. Where is your husband now? Well, he's out on business. He'll be home late. Then we'll have to work fast. Now, let me see. 
I go on again at nine o'clock. I want you to go home immediately and find some way of opening the case in which your husband keeps his guns. I'll call you just as soon as my act is over. Mrs. Thornton, if you can find a forty-five caliber pistol in that case, I think we can put an end to this affair. Hello? I opened the case. There was no pistol. I searched all through the house, and I can't find it anywhere. He must have it with him. What shall I do? I, I can't stay here tonight. He'll kill me. Mrs. Thornton, listen to me, please. You must come down here immediately. A few minutes ago, during my act, I received the murder thought again. Mrs. Thornton is in this nightclub. My husband is there now? Yes, meet me in my dressing room. Be sure to come in through the back entrance and hurry. All right, Mr. Marlowe. And where am I supposed to be right now? Jack. But, Jack, he said you were... You were standing there all the time. You heard everything. Enough. It's not you. Then who is it at the 78 Club? Me? 78 Club? Helena, are you going to tell me what this is all about? Not you. Oh, yes, darling. I'm going to tell you everything. Everything. I should have told you before I wanted to only... Oh, Jack. I need you so much. Now, look here, Marlowe. I want to get to the bottom of this. But Mrs. Thornton and I have told you everything. Yes, well, then explain to me why at the very moment I was standing in my own home listening to my wife talk to you on the phone. You were telling Mrs. Thornton that I was sitting in this nightclub planning to kill her. Oh, don't you see, Helen? This man's a cheap trickster. Why, he's never even seen me before. Why didn't you come to me when this all started, darling? Jack, I was afraid. Because uh, she thought you were the one. And so did I. That's why I assumed it was you sitting out there. Of course, I never saw you before you entered my dressing room a few minutes ago. You see, Mr. Thornton, I have a telepathic mind, not a magic eye. I know what your wife and I have told you is hard to believe. I don't know what your game is, Ma. But I'll find out soon enough. Come on, Helen, we're going to police headquarters. That won't be necessary, Mr. Thornton. The police know about this. I told them. What? The police are here now, in this nightclub. Mr. Thornton, whether you believe it or not, your wife's life is in jeopardy. Someone in this club now is planning to kill her. Perhaps this will convince you. You own a forty-five caliber pistol with a serial number 75682. What? Yes, that's, that's right. That's the pistol I reported as missing. Yes, I know. The police told me tonight. Jack, why didn't you tell me? Well, telling you've been so upset lately, I didn't want to cause you any more anxiety. That pistol is, in all likelihood, the same weapon that was used up at Lone Acres in an attempt on your wife's life. Mr. Thornton, that pistol was brought to this club tonight by the person who was planning to kill your wife. The police found it concealed in an overcoat in the hatchet room. Whoever claims that coat is Mrs. Thornton's intended murderer. Why should anyone want to kill her? Who can it be? You'll soon find out. Mr. Thornton, do you recall the night you were in this club? The night I first received the murder thought? Yes. That night, did you see anybody here? Or were you with anyone who knows both you and Mrs. Thornton very well? Let me see. Well, yes. (sighs) No, it... Couldn't be. Uh, pardon me. 
Well, we got him, Mr. Marlowe. Here he is. Will you bring him in, Inspector? All right, you. This way. Come on. Mr. Thornton, your intended murderer. Oh. That's right. He was with me here the night you received the murder thought. It was Paul all the time. Yeah. And it almost worked, yes. And all the clues pointed to you, Mr. Thornton. But why? We were so friendly, the three of us. Friendly? More than that, Mrs. Thornton. Paul Allen was hopelessly in love with you. Tomorrow, you're on. All right. I'm coming. Let's go, Allen. Stay where you are. Do not break the stillness of this moment. For this is a time of mystery. A time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is the haunting hour. That night didn't begin any differently from any other night. At least it doesn't seem to me that it did. I left work the same as usual. And I hurried because I was late and we were having supper early again so my brother Sid could get to law school on time. I walked down to Broadway and 42nd Street and into the uptown subway just the way I always did. I got on, pushed my way in with a the crowd. There was an empty seat and I took it. A girl in front of me was hanging onto the strap. In the other hand, she held the evening paper. I remember looking at it and reading the weather forecast. Fair and somewhat milder, it said. And I thought, tomorrow I can wear my light coat. I was tired. I was awfully tired. I leaned my head back for a minute and closed my eyes. And then... Tired, baby? I sat bolt upright. I'll make you some coffee when we get home. That'll fix you up. What was he talking about? When we get home? I looked at him. There was something I was trying desperately to remember. But I couldn't. He was in his early thirties. Dark and very good looking. But his eyes were hard and his lips were drawn back into a tight little smile. The hand clinging to my arm was large and powerful. The girl in front of me was still holding onto the strap with that paper clutched tightly in one hand. He leaned forward a little so he could see it better. Cloudy with probable thunder showers. Wouldn't you think we've had enough rain for one week? Rain? But the paper had said fair. Fair and somewhat milder. I looked at it again myself. And... 
And he was right. Then I knew I I was really frightened. The date, the date on that paper was February 21st, 1950. Everything seemed to blur before my eyes for a minute, and I, I felt a little sick. I looked down and saw a wedding band on my left hand. A simple gold wedding band that hadn't been there five minutes before. It was almost as if I half expected to see it there. If the date on that paper was right, if this really were 1950, then something told me that this man, this stranger sitting beside me, was my husband. And somewhere, somehow, on that Uptown Express, I'd lost five years of my life. Come on, Lindy. We get off here. We walked up the stairs and out into the street. It was raining. It hadn't been raining before. We'll have to make a run for it. It's raining pretty hard. We started to run down a long, dark street I'd never seen before. Then we turned into a narrow entrance into a dingy apartment building. We shut the rain outside, and we were alone. Never mind your key. I have mine right here. Oh, wait a minute. I think there's some mail. I looked at the name on the box. Vincent. Mr. and Mrs. John Vincent. Johnny. Johnny and Linda Vincent. That was us. Oh, this is rich. Look what it is. A political circular. Sidney Damon for district attorney. Fearless, courageous. <laughs> That's a laugh, sending it to us. Sid? For district attorney? My brother, Sidney? Yes, and it don't sound much better than it smells. Not for my money. But... Come on. It's cold down here. Let's get upstairs. We climbed the stairs to the second floor to a small apartment way in the back. I kept thinking of Sid. Less than an hour ago, he was going to City College nights to study law. And now in my hand was a circular that said he was running for district attorney. But, but it wasn't an hour ago. That was in 1945. Five years ago. This was 1950. There. Turn on the light. It's near you. I felt along the wall and found the switch. That's better. It's cold in this dump. Never any heat when we need it. Did you speak to that lousy janitor yet? You said you were going to. Uh, I will, Johnny. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. I didn't mean to snap at you. It's just that business of your smart aleck brother running for DA. I don't like it. Why, Johnny? Why don't you like it? Oh, cut it. Don't ask silly questions. Come here and kiss me instead. Oh, Johnny, I, I... What's the matter? Nothing. Well, come here, then. You know what? Your hair's all wet and your mascara's run a little around the edges. You look awful, honey. But to me, you're still beautiful. Please, please, Johnny, don't kiss me anymore. What's the idea? I'm, I'm cold, I'm wet. I'll be all right. Sure, I understand. Go in and change and I'll fix you something hot. I went into the bedroom. On the bureau was a picture of the two of us. Me, Linda Damon, and this man I'd never seen before. I picked it up. Across the front of it was written, Atlantic City, September 1946. I looked at it for a few minutes, then I put it back on the bureau and walked over to the closet. On one side were his clothes, and on the other... What I supposed were my things. I found a light blue house dress and changed into it quickly. It fit perfectly. 
Ready, Lindy? Come and get it. In a minute. Here. Oh, thanks. Are you going to put on some dry clothes? No, I'm okay. I'll hold out your cup. And one for me. Well, what do we drink to? Even if it's only coffee, we have to drink to something. Well, what we always drink to, Johnny. All right, darling. You want to make the toast or shall I? You make it. Here goes, then. To our house. The one with the front porch, the backyard, and the attic. Okay? Okay. Do you think we'll ever have it? Have what, Johnny? That house. All my life I remember living in little box flats with walls so paper thin you could hear the guy next door yelling at his old lady or her nagging at him. Just as if there weren't enough of that stuff in your own place. And the hallways always full with dirty little kids with their faces needing washing and their eyes too old for the rest of them. And the garbage in big ugly cans in front of the buildings when it was so hot you could hardly breathe. Johnny. I guess maybe you don't understand. Is that why you want the house, Johnny? Sure. Imagine, Lindy, a house. Not a flat, not a couple of caged-in little rooms, but a big house with a front porch and a backyard and an attic. All mine. All ours, Lindy. Oh, Lindy, do you love me? Oh, yes, Johnny. I do love you very much. Hey, what got me started? I did. I'm sorry. Oh, don't be. Don't ever be sorry for anything. Oh, it couldn't be bad if it comes from you because you're good, Lindy. I'm not, and I know it. Look what I'm doing to you, making you live in a hole like this, not a decent dress to your name. I don't care, Johnny. Oh, but you'll see. It's going to be different, maybe sooner than you expect. How would you like to move out into the country, to our house? Well, I wasn't going to tell you until everything was set, but here, here, start on this. Go out tomorrow and buy yourself some clothes, you know, real high-class stuff. Johnny, all that money. And plenty more where that came from. But I don't want... I'll get it. Stay where you are. Yeah? What is it, Charlie? Who? Oh, he was. What do you want? Yeah? Well, just lay low until I get in touch with you. I'll think of something. So long. Who was that? Just a friend of mine. Business acquaintance. You wouldn't know him. Oh. I'm telling you, it was nothing. Nothing important. I didn't say anything. Well, don't. And stop looking as though I just finished beating you. Don't shout, Johnny. Well, I didn't mean it, baby. My nerves are on edge, that's all. I wonder if it stopped raining. Did it? It let up a little, maybe. Not much. Why are you standing at the window? Are you expecting someone? What do you mean by that? Who should I be expecting? You've been talking to your brother, haven't you? You've been seeing him again. Johnny, you're hurting me. I told you to keep away from that family of yours, didn't I? If I'm not good enough for him, that's just too bad. Johnny, my arm. Tell me the truth. Have you seen Sid? What's he been telling you? It's a lie, but you believe me, don't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Please, please, Johnny, you're hurting me. Darling, forgive me. Oh, Lindy, you... Got to promise me you'll stay with me, no matter what. What is it, Johnny? What have you done? Oh, I'm in an awful mess. I'm in deeper than I've ever been in my life. This time, I'm afraid. Will you tell me? Maybe I can help you. I'm, I'm your wife. Oh, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve ever to have met you. Johnny. What? Tell me. Tell me again how we met. I like to hear it. You're just like a little kid, aren't you? Just a funny little kid. Tell me. Okay. It was February 21st, 1945, five years ago. Yes. And there you were, and I saw you. Where, Johnny? 
On the subway. On the Uptown Express. What? What's the matter? Uh, oh, nothing. I... I have a little headache, that's all. Go on. You're sure you're all right? Yes, yes, I'm all right. Go ahead. When I saw you and I said to myself, that brother is for me. Mm-hmm. Then I made up my mind I was going to meet you. And then what did you do? I said, pardon me, miss. Am I on the right train for 86th Street? And what did I say? And you said, no, you'll have to change it to the local at 72nd. Then we started to talk. <laughs> Just as easy as that? <laughs> <laughs> Just as easy as that. I think you wanted to meet me, too. Who's that? Oh, I don't know. I'll open it. Linda. What? Stay where you are. Don't answer that. Who is it? Johnny, what are you doing with that gun? Who is it? Me, Sidney. Wait a minute. Your big shot brother. Sid? Yeah. I guess I won't need this gun. Here, put it on the table. Sid. Listen to me carefully. I was with you last Monday night. That's all you know. That's your story, and you'd better stick to it. Remember. Life is filled with mystery. And it was a strange afternoon when Linda Damon boarded the Uptown Express. For without warning, time jumped ahead. And the newspaper datelines read February 21st, 1950. Then she heard the man sitting next to her say, Come on, Lindy, we get off here. He was her husband. And his name was Johnny. Mystified, afraid to question, Linda followed him home. Johnny spoke of how they had met five years before on the Uptown Express. And Linda listened. Then came a knock on the door. Johnny reached for his gun. The newcomer was Sid, Linda's brother, a candidate for the office of district attorney. Johnny turned to Linda and said, Listen, Linda, carefully. I was with you last Monday night. That's all you know. That's your story, and you'd better stick to it. Remember. Yeah? Yeah, just a minute. Hello, Linda. Sid. What do you want, Damon? It's so good to see you, Sid. How's Mom? You've got kind of a nerve asking that, haven't you? Oh, please, Sid, I don't understand. Forget it, baby. Let him speak his piece and get out. What's on your mind, Mr. District Attorney? You're a little premature, but thanks anyway. Come on into the living room, Sid. Here, let me take your coat. It's wet. Linda, he'll go into that living room over my dead body. Which is just the way I'd like it, Vincent. Why, you would... Johnny! Sid! What's the matter? What is it? Linda, haven't you had enough yet? Why don't you come home where you belong? Mom's worse. Every day since you left, she gets worse. Doesn't it mean anything to you that you're killing her? Mom? What are you trying to do? Wring blood out of her? Leave her alone. Don't you care, Linda? What's he done to you? Leave her alone. That's what you came here to say. You said it. Now get out. That's not quite all, Vincent. No, well, spill it then. Last Monday night, a man by the name of Bucky Stevens was murdered. So what? Johnny... Johnny, what's he trying to say? Be quiet, Lindy. Go on, big shot. What's it to me? That's just what I wondered, Vincent. Bucky'd been gambling, but I suppose you know the story. Sorry, I don't know nothing. No? Too bad you missed it. It's been on all the front pages, too. Maybe you just forgot, Vincent. I'll refresh your memory. Bucky'd been gambling heavily, and he won. He was pretty tight and made a lot of noise about it. Things like that get around fast. I don't like your story. Maybe it's just the way you tell it. Oh? I'm sorry. But don't worry, it gets better as it goes along. 
when Bucky left the club alone with that nice fat wallet. Three men got into another car and followed him. Yeah? See, I told you it got better. Gets better still. They forced his car off the road, took his money, murdered him, and then threw his body in the river. Johnny! Then what? Then nothing. That's all there was to it. The three men escaped in their car, and the next morning, Earl Marino and his two henchmen were picked up and booked for the murder. The police thought they had a case. As a matter of fact, they still do. Thanks for the bedtime story. Are you through? In a minute. You see, Vincent, the police, the DA, everyone was convinced it was Marino and his gang. Everyone except me, that is. So? So I said to myself, I wonder, I wonder where Johnny Vincent was Monday night. Johnny and those two playmates of his, Charlie Rossi and Joe Kagan. Just idle curiosity, you understand. Get to the point. You take too much time. Okay, I will. I did a little private investigating. And I've got proof that it was you. You and your pals. I've got enough proof to send the three of you to the electric chair. Dear, don't say that. Why, he couldn't have. Johnny couldn't have. Why won't you believe me, Linda? I tell you, I can prove it. And I intend to. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to the DA with my evidence. And I'm giving you fair warning. It's packed solid. They'll spring Marino and pick you up, Vincent. And the charge will be murder. You think you're pretty smart, don't you? No. Just smarter than you, that's all. Well, don't think you can get away with it. I know I can. And if you do, it won't hurt the election any, will it, Damon? Brilliant young prosecuting attorney solved case single-handed. That'll look cute on campaign buttons. Not bad. But to tell you the truth, I wasn't thinking of that so much. I've been out to get you for a long time for what you've done to Lindy. And this is once you're not going to be able to talk your way out of it. And just what do you think you've gained by coming here? I want Linda to be home where she belongs tomorrow. When the police come to get you. Thanks for the warning. No, you can skip if you're dumb enough. See how far you'll get. By tomorrow night, every paper in the country will have your picture plastered all over the front page. Johnny's not going anywhere, Sid. And neither am I. He'll stay here and stand trial if he has to, and I'll stand by him. Johnny was with me last Monday night. Linda... You don't know what you're saying. Don't I? I'm sorry, but I don't believe you, Sid. Johnny couldn't have murdered anybody. Nothing I can say will make you change your mind. No, nothing. Please go, will you? Sure. Sorry I bothered you. When you need us, we'll still be waiting for you. Come home. So long, Vincent. See you in court. Oh, Johnny, my own brother. How could he? Thanks for trying anyway, baby. But this time, he means business. You don't have to be afraid, Johnny, if you're innocent. What do you mean, if... Oh, I didn't mean that way, Johnny. Believe me. Oh, you're trying to kid. He's got the goods on me, and I know it. Johnny, you mean he was right? He was telling the truth? Johnny, did you... Don't be a little fool. Of course I killed him. No! Oh, no! Cut out the dramatics. I've got to think. There must be something. You... You murdered him and threw his body in the river? And where do you think that money came from? Use your head. But murder? Johnny! I couldn't help it. He put up a fight and we had to let him have it. I didn't want to kill him. There was nothing else I could do. You know I wouldn't have killed him if I didn't have to. Don't you, Lindy? I don't know anything anymore. What are you going to do now? Do? What can I do? He made this investigation on his own. That's what he said, didn't he? Well, yes, but I... Then he probably hasn't told anyone yet. No one knows but him. At last, or at least that's the chance I've got to take. I can't be any worse off than I am now. What are you talking about? He'll never live to turn in that evidence. I'll see to that. Johnny! I'll get Charlie and Joe and we'll make sure he doesn't... No! No, you can't do that to Sid. I won't let you. Me or him, Lindy. I don't have to think twice to decide which one I'd rather have it be. No! 
Put down that phone. Please, Johnny. Hello, Mike. Let me speak to Charlie, will you? Is he there? Good. I said to hang up, Johnny. And I meant it. Lindy, put that gun back on the table. I said to hang up. You won't shoot. Put it down like a good girl. Hello, that you, Charlie? Something's come up. I want you to get Joe and help me on the job. Yeah, right away. I'm warning you, Johnny. Meet me as soon as you can, over. Me. Me. Oh. Johnny! Oh, Johnny! Johnny! I really didn't think you'd shoot me, Lindy. I had to. I couldn't help it. You know, you've got a lot of spunk for a little thing. Oh, Johnny, I'm sorry. I thought I told you not to be sorry for anything. Ever. I told you anything you did would be all right, and I... I meant it. No. It wouldn't have ended good, no matter what. I'd just as soon have it this way. Honest, baby. But it wasn't all bad, was it? Some of it was fun. Tell me it was. Yes, Johnny. Some of it was wonderful. And you know what? What? I guess maybe I never was meant to have a house with a front porch, a backyard, and... I don't know how long I sat there, on the floor beside him, holding him in my arms and rocking back and forth as if he were a child. There was blood trickling out of the corners of his mouth, and I wiped it off with my handkerchief. I knew he was dead, but I wiped it off just the same. And I sat there, holding him. Maybe part of those years had been wonderful. Now I'd never know. After a while, I got up, took my purse, and left the apartment. The rain had stopped. I started to walk, found myself running instead, running down that narrow little street. I didn't know where I was going. I just ran. The subway station was at the corner, and I went into that. I thought maybe I'd try and find my way home again, back to Mom and Sid. Then I'd be all right. I tried not to think of Johnny. Johnny lying dead where I'd left him in a little pool of blood. I dropped a nickel in the slot, and a minute later the train came roaring out of the tunnel. I'm sure I didn't know what I was doing. I just got on and sat down. The car was almost empty. I was tired. Tired all over. I leaned back and closed my eyes. opened them again, the train was crowded, crowded with people, and I hadn't remember stopping to let them on. Suddenly, I wasn't quite so tired anymore. I sat up straight and looked around. A girl in front of me was hanging onto the strap, and in the other hand, she held an evening paper. I remember looking at it and reading a weather forecast, fair and somewhat milder. I held my breath. Was it possible? It took every bit of courage I had to force myself to look at the date. And the date was February 21st, 1945. I can't explain how I felt then. I wanted to... 
to laugh but, but to cry. I wanted to turn to the stranger sitting beside me and say, Listen, mister, it was a dream. I just imagined it. I didn't kill anybody. This is still 1945 and I'm going home for supper. I did turn and... And then I froze. I froze with such terror as I've never known before and will never know again. For the man sitting next to me was... Pardon me, miss. Am I on the right train for 86 Street? Well, no, you'll have to, uh... That is... I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm afraid you'll have to ask someone else. You see, this is my stop, and I'm getting off. From shadows and stillness, mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. Well, listeners, the theme today was premonitions. Seeing into the future, glimpses into a reality to inform oneself and act on that information to change your future. Both these episodes followed the same theme. The first tale was certainly interesting, but I'm feeling more critical on the pacing for that one. Definitely is not my favorite all-time radio episode, but I wanted to show that, well, not every tale is going to hit the mark. I just found the ending a little rushed compared to the other episodes. But the twist to convince the audience and the protagonist that her husband was the one to in fact kill her, to only have another suitor seek to murder her was quite cheeky. So I gotta give it points there. The second tale, Uptown Express, was really interesting. Especially since the ending totally changed the lines of fate for our protagonist. It's really a fascinating episode, and I'm glad she chose not to take that path in the end. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed both these OTRs, and stick with me Wednesday for some creepy tales. Stay awesome, which isn't hard for you lovelies, and as always, till next, we meet.